Five Trials and Five Executions Stories of Trials and Executions on the 19th of March, 1834 Welcome to our new series, focusing in-depth on famous crime stories of their day. Each week, we will be focusing on a crime story or series of crimes renowned in its time. Information is derived from historical publications. Today's episode combines five different stories, with all receiving a verdict of guilty for their relative crimes and all being sentenced to execution, three to be hung on the same day. These stories are filed under the heading Trials and Executions. We hope you enjoy the show. The Trials of Charles Shaw, aged 16, for murdering John Oldcroft, aged nine. Richard Tomlinson for murdering Mary Evans, his sweetheart. Mary Smith for drowning her infant child. All three received sentences of death at the late Staffordshire Spring Assizes and were ordered for execution. Wednesday, March 19th, 1834. The trials of the above three unfortunate creatures took place on Monday the March the 17th, 1834, at the Staffordshire Spring Assizes, before Mr. Justice Patterson. Charles Shaw, a well-looking lad of 16, was charged with the willful murder of Charles Oldcroft, aged nine, by fixing a cord around his neck. The only assignable motive of the prisoner for the commission of the offence was the acquisition of one shilling and sixpence which the deceased possessed. The prisoner and the deceased nine-year-old, John Oldcroft, were both in the service of Mr. Hawley, a potter. Both had been paid their wages at about six o'clock on the 3rd of August last. The deceased had due to him one shilling and fourpence, but as he was a good lad, his master made it up to one shilling and sixpence. In a few minutes after they were paid, the deceased and the prisoner went away together. They were seen by various persons going towards the Etruria racecourse. On their way, they passed a boy named Robinson, who was bathing in the canal. He saw the prisoner, 16-year-old Charles Shaw, dangling a piece of cord, and when afterwards the prisoner was reminded by Robinson that such was the case, he denied that he had ever had any cord at all. The prisoner and deceased, after some little rough play with Robinson, then went on in the direction of Macaroni Bridge, and they were seen playing with copper money on a bank. The deceased not returning, his parents went in search of him and proceeded to the house of which the prisoner lived. The account he gave was that he had left the deceased with gamblers at the racecourse. The parents continued their search without success. One of the peasantry, having a woodlark, which is a bird fond of some of the contents of a wasp's nest, went in search of a wasp's nest, and found concealed under some willows the body of the deceased with a cord around the neck. 
corresponding in appearance with that that the prisoner carried. In consequence of suspicion, the prisoner was taken up. There were several marks of blood on the prisoner's shirt, which had been covered with potter's clay, but it was found to be blood. He said his nose had bled, and he began rubbing his nose as if to make it bleed. Evidence was also given that the prisoner had told another lad in the prison that he had killed the deceased. The jury returned a verdict of guilty, and Mr. Justice Patterson ordered him for execution on the Wednesday following, March 19th. Richard Tomlinson, a rough-looking man aged about 22, was tried on Monday the 17th of March before Mr. Justice Patterson at the Staffordshire Spring Assizes, charged with the willful murder of Mary Evans, his sweetheart, a very interesting and amiable young woman. The trial excited much interest. The prisoner, having had some conversation with the deceased, in which she told him that she had had her fortune told and mentioned some words which is supposed excited his savage jealousy. When, in a paroxysm of ungovernable revenge, he hurled a tremendous stone on her head, he then drew her into the mud by which the unhappy sufferer was suffocated. The jury, having found the prisoner guilty, the learned judge, in a most impressive manner, passed the awful sentence on him to be hanged the following Wednesday. The prisoner heard the sentence with indifference. Mary Smith was convicted at the last assizes for the willful murder of her infant child, only twelve days old, by throwing him into the canal near Bloxwich. When she was called to the bar to be informed that the judge had decided against the validity of the technical objections raised by her counsel, she appeared in a most distressing state of exhaustion, which excited the pity and commiseration of every one in court. It was with great difficulty that, that the learned and humane judge could repress his feelings in passing sentence for her to die on the next Wednesday, together with the other two perpetrators. The horrid murder, dismemberment, and burning of Mr. Pass, 1834. The fact of the horrid murder having already appeared in public, we are now proceeding to give the final particulars of this wretched individual. The assizes being fixed for the 4th of August, the interest in the town of Leicester, which gave birth to this unparalleled murderer, became most intense, and the applications for admission into town hall, where the trial took place, were more numerous than the oldest inhabitant can remember. Cook, during his incarceration, has, with few exceptions, preserved a sullen calmness. All that could be extracted from him more than his previous acknowledgement of guilt, in which he firmly asserted 
having nearly destroyed the whole of Miss de Parsi's remains by fire during the night of the murder. Cook's Confession At a meeting of the borough magistrates in Leicester at the town jail, Cook was brought before them, heavily ironed, and although in the presence of gentlemen, to most of whom he had few days before known under happier circumstances, he betrayed no emotion, and his manner was quite composed. He was asked if he chose to state any circumstances connected with the sad case. The magistrate was ready to hear what he had to say, but they had to caution him that it would be taken down in writing. The prisoner, after a short pause, with that firmness of tone and manner, replies as follows. I am innocent of willful murder, and my conscience is not burdened in the manner that you gentlemen seem to suppose. Mr. Pass called on me in the morning, but what morning I can't exactly say, as my agitation of mind has been so great ever since. I paid him a bill of twelve shillings. There were two bills due. The other was for a larger sum. Mr. Pass wrote settled on the twelve shilling billing, and I told him I would strive to pay the other if he called again in the evening. Mr. Pass did call in the evening, but I was not able to give him anything. He was angry, and I was angry. Disagreeable words took place, and a scuffle ensued, and in this manner I was brought to this shameful act. The following day, Mr. Burbridge commenced the inquiry by asking him how he felt in himself. The prisoner replied that he was more comfortable in mind than he had hitherto been since the commission of the crime, and that he knew he must suffer for it. Mr. Burbridge then asked how he did it. The prisoner replied that he had cut up the body into fragments, and so placed them on the fire. The judge evidently affected in the most solemn manner sentenced the prisoner to suffer the severest penalty of the law, to be hanged by the neck and gibbeted. The crime with which the prisoner stood convicted drew tears of anguish from a crowded courtroom. The prisoner was led from the bar to the condemned cell apparently in the deepest despair of faculty. The fateful morning having arrived, the sheriff and his javelin men proceeded to the county jail, where every preparation had been made to carry into effect the last awful sentence of the law. Cook appeared extremely dejected and downcast, but suffered the operation of pinioning him by the executioner with moderate firmness. Several gentlemen, independent of the chaplain, conversed most seriously with the prisoner in his last moments, to all of whom he confessed the justice of his sentence. Shortly after 11 a.m. on Friday morning, August 10th, 1837, he sank into eternity. 
Our last case of trial and execution in this is the mistaken execution of a father for having killed his daughter. The story takes place in a village near Edin and shows the lengths a girl would go to to avoid a forced marriage. William Shaw, a respectable upholsterer residing in a village near Edin, had a daughter, Catherine, who lived with him. Catherine encouraged the advances of John Lawson, a jeweller, contrary to the wishes of her father, who had an inseparable objection against him, and urged his daughter to receive the addresses of a son of Alexander Robertson, a friend and a neighbour. The girl refused most peremptorily. The father grew enraged. Passionate expressions arose on both sides, and the words barbarity, cruelty, and death were frequently pronounced by the daughter. At length, her father left her, locking the door after him. The apartment was only divided by a slight partition from the one of Morrison, a watch casemaker who had indistinctly heard the diabolical conversation and quarrel between Catherine Shaw and her father. He was particularly struck with the words she had pronounced. For some time after the father had gone out, all was silent. Presently, Morrison heard several groans from the daughter. He called some of the neighbours, and these, listening attentively, not only heard the groans uttered from her faintly, exclaim, Cruel father, thou art the cause of my death. Struck with the expression, they got a constable and broke the door open where they found the daughter, Catherine, weltering in her blood and a knife found covered with blood near where she was laying. A surgeon was immediately sent for and on examining the wound, there was no hope of her ever recovering, as the wound was mortal. She was still alive and speechless. On questioning her as to owing her death, she pointed to her father, who was present in the room in custody of an officer. At the sight of his daughter, he turns pale and ready to sink. The first surprise and his countenance left little doubt of his guilt in the breast of his beholders. He was instantly carried away before a magistrate, and upon the deposition of the parties he was committed to trial. In vain did he protest his innocence and declare that the blood on his shirt was occasioned by his having blooded himself some days before and the bandage having come untied. The circumstances appeared so strong against him that he was found guilty and was executed. His last words were, I am innocent of my daughter's murder. There was scarcely a person who thought the father innocent, but a short time after, a man who had become the occupant of Shaw's apartment accidentally discovered a paper which had fallen into the cavity on one side of the chimney. 
It was folded as a letter, and, on being opened, was found to contain as follows, Barbarous father, your cruelty is having put it out of my power ever to join my fate to that of the only man I could love, and tyrannically insisting upon my marrying one whom I always hated. This has made me form a resolution to put an end to an existence which is become a burden to me. The letter was signed Catherine Shaw, and, on being shown to her relations and friends, it was recognised as her writing. The magistracy of the town examined it, and on being satisfied of its authenticity, they ordered the body of William Shaw to be cut down from the gibbet and given up to his friends with honour. That concludes this episode of Trials and Executions, featuring different stories that took place between 1830 and 1840. We really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please like, subscribe and tell your friends. We upload short Victorian crime stories daily, with longer Regency or Victorian crime stories uploaded weekly. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.